0: Well, good morning, Orchard. Isn't that exciting? So many people being baptized. Isn't that great? To God be the glory. Wow. Wow. It doesn't get much better than that. After all, that's the great commission to make disciples and to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what the Orchard is all about, making disciples. We're so glad you're here today. Long ago... Long ago, when I was a missionary, I heard about a very unique statue of Jesus Christ. It was located on the top of a mountain, a very small mountain, easy to walk up to, and I wanted to see it for myself, and so I climbed to the top of this small mountain, and I saw this statue that was exquisitely, beautifully, intricately carved, except for the fact that uh, there was no face on the statue. Oh, there was a sign at the foot of the statue, and it said, if you want to see the face of Jesus, you must kneel at his feet. So looking around, I was the only one there. I reluctantly went to the foot of that small statue, knelt down, looked up, and Sure enough, there was the face, the face of Jesus. Was it miraculous? Was it something supernatural? No, 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 no. None of the above. You see, the face could only be seen by kneeling down at the foot and looking up. The relief was carved in just that way. But it was a reminder a powerful reminder to me on that morning to kneel in prayer and to look to Jesus. And so this morning, let's pray and look to him. Heavenly Father, today, we're reminded that you became like us to give us hope, to give us peace, and to show us how to respond to those who are hurting. You know every name. You know every need. You know every hurt. We pray this morning for those who are feeling lonely. We pray that those struggling with disappointments and broken hearts will sense your presence and your unconditional love. We pray for the families of the Marines and the Corpsmen killed this week in Afghanistan. We pray for the people of Afghanistan, especially for our brothers and sisters in Christ who have been left behind. We pray we will hear from you and that we'll be obedient to your word. Finally, we thank you, Lord, for your grace, for your mercy. We thank you for your amazing love and your daily provision. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, the apostle Paul summed up the three greatest virtues in just three words. That's a little more than, or a little less than my sermon this morning. Three words, faith, hope, and love. And today we're going to take a closer look at these three virtues through the eyes of a father. A father who embarked on an unexpected journey under unthinkable circumstances, to learn and to experience more about faith, hope, and love. Have you ever found yourself on an unexpected journey? Well, these past several days, most of us have watched in shock, in disbelief, the horrors that we've seen of desperate people risking their lives to reach the airport in Kabul, Afghanistan, hoping, hoping that they might get out before the door closes tomorrow. Did you, by any chance, see that photo of 640 people with nothing more than the clothes on their backs that were jammed inside that U.S. cargo plane as they embarked on an unexpected journey? With no idea of of where they were going, when their next meal would be, what awaited them. But but they, they, they were the fortunate ones. They were not the ones that were left behind. Most will be left behind, including my close friend, Ibrahim, his wife, their daughters and sons. As you know by now, the Taliban have taken over Afghanistan. It's a fast-moving, it's, a, it's an unpredictable situation. And as you know, there are no more church buildings standing in Afghanistan. Oh, yes, there, there are underground house churches, but the Taliban, even this past week, have begun to kill the pastors and the Christian leaders of these church houses outside of Kabul. Believers in Afghanistan are now in grave danger. Robin and I have dear Christian friends in Afghanistan, and they're among the thousands of believers that will be left behind. I hear from Abraham every day. Ibrahim and his family, they know about the orchard. And even as we meet this morning, they are praying for you. They are praying for the orchard from their hiding place in Kabul, Afghanistan. So I have a request. Would you pray for them? I had the privilege of leading Abraham when he was a young man to the Lord many years ago when I was a missionary in Afghanistan. And soon, Ibrahim will be leading his family on an unexpected journey under unthinkable circumstances and facing the greatest test of his life. This morning, we're going to look at another father who also took an unexpected journey under unthinkable circumstances and he faced the greatest test of his life. So grab your Bibles if you have them. Otherwise, you can look up on the screen, and we're going to dig into Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, the first book of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 22, beginning in verse 1, we read, sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much. And go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. Verse 3. The next morning, Abraham got up early, saddled his donkey, and took two of his servants with him along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up, And he saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told his servants. The boy and I will travel a little further. We will worship there, and then we will come right back. Verse 6. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders, while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered. And they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told them to go, Abraham built an altar, arranged the wood on it, then he tied his son, Isaac, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. In verse 1, We read, after these things, God tested Abraham. You've got to stop there and think, after what things? Well, I'm glad you asked. For starters, Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave his very comfortable home in Ur, which is now in southern Iraq, and to head to an unknown place. Have you ever sensed God was directing you to leave the familiar and go to the unfamiliar? I clearly remember in my own life trying to explain to family and and friends why I sensed that God was leading me to move from Hawaii and to go and live in a very remote jungle village in Vanuatu with a tribe of cannibals, where there's no electricity, no plumbing, no roads, no cars. Uh, People, they thought, David, you've just been drinking your bath water. Have you ever sensed God was directing you to embark on an unexpected journey, to leave the familiar and go to the unfamiliar? Did you notice here that Abraham didn't hesitate at all? Abraham passed the test. And after these things, the Bible says Abraham was ready. He was ready for an unexpected journey under unthinkable circumstances to face the greatest test that he would ever face. One more test. One more time. And the Bible says God did test Abraham. It would be Abraham's greatest test of all. God said, Abraham? And Abraham said, yes, yes, Lord, I'm I'm listening. And God said, Abraham, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your son Isaac, whom you love so much, and I want you to go to Mount Moriah, and then when you get there, I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac as a bird offering. Whoa! Whoa, you know the story. But for a moment, put yourself in Abraham's sandals. Is this really possible? Would God really really ask Abraham to sacrifice his son, the very same son that God had promised him and he'd waited 20 years for, the very same son that Abraham was so proud of and he loved so much, the very same son that had such great potential to raise a knife in the air and then to bring it down on the chest Of his very same son, it's not normal. It's not natural. In fact, it's the most terrible, horrific thing that a parent could ever do. But but wait, let's look a little more closely at this passage. Let's go back again to verse 1. This test didn't take place until after God prepared Abraham. Abraham. For this very moment. Oh, Orchard. Orchard, remember. God will never ever give you a test. That he hasn't already prepared you to handle. So the reason Abraham could go up to Mount Moriah. The reason that Abraham could go through with this command. Is because Abraham... Had already been prepared for just this moment in time. So after 57 years of previous testings, Abraham was ready to face the greatest test of his life. So, Abraham and Isaac, well, they they set off on the second greatest mountain climbing expedition of all time. Second only to the one that another father and son would take on this very same mountain centuries later. Yes, it's the exact same mountain, the exact same spot where God would sacrifice his son, Jesus Christ, for us. You see, Isaac is a forerunner of Jesus. Do you remember that Isaac was born to a 90-year-old barren woman? A miracle baby. And Jesus was born of a virgin. Wow, an even greater miracle baby. Isaac's birth was promised 20 years before he was born. And Jesus' birth was promised 4,000 years before he was born. Back in Genesis chapter 3. Do you remember Abraham and Sarah were told by God what to name their son? And Mary and Joseph, they were told by God what to name their son. And Isaac was obedient to his father, even to the point of death. And Jesus was obedient to his father, even to the point of death. So Abraham and Isaac traveled together about 50 miles as the crow flies to Mount Moriah, and in the original Hebrew language, "Mariah" means where the Lord provides. You see, God had prepared Abraham for this very moment. So Abraham was willing to sacrifice what he deeply loved. Sacrifice. What does the word mean? Well, I'm glad you asked. Sacrifice means relinquishing your right to hold on to what is most precious to you. True sacrifice has three components. First, recognizing what's most important to you. Second, relinquishing your control over what is most important to you. And third, resting in the final outcome. So even if in this lifetime, you'll never know the reason for the sacrifice, God will show you and he will lead you. And in an act of faith and in total trust in God, Abraham made that decision to lay his Isaac down. Did you notice in in verse 2 that Abraham was instructed by God to offer him there as a burnt offering? I find it fascinating that the word offer in the original Hebrew language is Allah, which means to lift up. So God tells Abraham to let go And to lift up Isaac on Mount Moriah. And years later, Jesus himself in John chapter 12, verse 32 said, And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. He said this to indicate how he was going to die. And so it was. Our Lord was lifted up on the cross of Calvary. And because he was, we can face tomorrow. Well, the Bible says in verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey. Now, Abraham knew the purpose of the trip. He knew that he was going to go there to sacrifice his son. So what does he do? Well, the Bible says he got up early in the morning and he went right to work saddling up his donkey. Wow. Wow. Now, if it was me, I, I would have spent as much time as possible with my son. And instead of rushing to saddle up the donkey, I would have taken a long walk with my son, talked with him, spent time with him, savoring every single moment. And I would have left at the last possible time, hoping that, that, that God maybe would, would change his mind. But God didn't change his mind. Because he never makes mistakes. His plans are always perfect. They're good. And so, rather than hesitating, Abraham gets right to work. And did you notice in verse 3, the Bible says Abraham took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Years later, our Lord would also travel up that same mountain with two men. Who would be sacrificed on either side of him? He did that on the cross of Calvary for you and for me. And did you notice the Bible says they walked together three days to Mount Moriah, just as Jesus and his father walked together for three years on their way to Calvary. And did you notice in, in verse 5 that Abraham referred to his son Isaac as a lad? or a boy, depending on the translation that you're reading. The Hebrew word for lad, or for boy, in this passage, refers to a man in his early 30s, about the same age that Jesus was when he went up the same mountain with his father. And then did you notice in in verse 5 that Abraham He says an incredible thing. He tells the other two two young men, he says, the boy and I will travel a little further. We will worship there, and then we will come right back. Amazing. On the one hand, Abraham is ready to sacrifice his son, but on the other hand, he tells others, wait right here, we're going to be right back. Incredible. This strange paradox is is summarized by Peter Kuznick when he wrote, and I quote, hope is the ability to hear the music of the future. Faith is the courage to dance to it today. In other words, even though it had never happened before, never ever, Abraham, Abraham, truly believed that God was able to resurrect Isaac from the dead. And the Bible says in verse 6 that Isaac carried the wood on which he would be laid, just as Jesus carried that wooden cross on which he would be nailed. And and did you notice that Isaac carried the wood and his father carried the fire? Fire? How, How? how did Abraham carry fire 50 miles and for three days? Well, in those days, live coals were placed inside clay pots. And so they carried the live coals in those special clay pots. Okay, David, but but why, why did Isaac carry the wood, but his father carried the fire? Oh, it's beautiful. In the Bible, wood represents humanness. Fire represents righteousness. Fire refines and and, and purifies and that's exactly what our Heavenly Father wants to do in our lives. Refine us. Purify us through the blood of His perfect sacrifice. Jesus Christ. And did you notice that Abraham took that knife? It reminds us, doesn't it, of that spear? That spear that would pierce the side of Jesus as he was sacrificed for our sins? And did you notice in verse 7 that Isaac asked his father a very timely and important question? That the fire is here, the, the wood is here, but father, where's the lamb? Have you ever experienced a a personal crisis and asked your father, your heavenly father, where's the provision? Where's the provision for my need? Where's the money for my rent? Why did my spouse betray me? Why didn't you protect my son or daughter? Why was my friend given that medical prognosis? Well, look carefully at verse 8. Abraham answered this question by saying, God will provide for himself the Lamb. Now, stay with me here. The actual Hebrew language reads, God will provide himself the Lamb. God will provide himself the Lamb, not God will provide for himself the Lamb. In other words, he will be the lamb. And we'll see this in the next few verses. Let's pick up in verse 10. Verse 10, Genesis 22. Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. And at that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way. For now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Verse 14, Abraham named that place yahweh Yara, which means the Lord will provide. And to this day, People still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. So the Bible says, instead of a lamb, Abraham saw a ram. A ram? Now, didn't, in verse 8, God promise a lamb? Did he get the two confused? Maybe there was a shortage of sheep. No, 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 no. The actual, the actual fulfillment of this prophecy would not come true until Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, would come to take away the sin of the world. And did you notice in verse 14 that Abraham called this place, the Lord will provide? Or in the Hebrew language, Jehovah Jireh so on this mountain God provided a ram for Abraham and on this mountain he provided the lamb of God for you and for me so if you doubt this morning God's love for you go to the mountain if you're anxious about tomorrow go to the mountain Go to Mount Moriah. Go to Calvary. Lift up your eyes and see the provision of the Lord. Well, the Bible says that because Abraham was willing to lay his Isaac down, the Lord would make of him a great, great nation. So let's wrap it up this morning. Verses 15 through 19. The Bible says in verse 15, then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. Verse 16, this is what the Lord says. Because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number, like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the city of their enemies. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. All because you have obeyed me. Then they returned to the servants and traveled back to Beersheba, where Abraham continued to live. Did you notice, Orchard, that because Abraham was willing to lay his Isaac down. The Lord provided more, far, far more than he could have ever, ever hoped for. So today, we took a close look at a father who embarked on an unexpected journey under unthinkable circumstances to learn the power of faith, hope, and love. Abraham's faith was developed when God called him out of Ur. But God didn't stop there. Abraham's hope was developed as he waited for his promised son. But God didn't stop there. For the greatest of these is love. It's fascinating to note. That the very first mention of the word love in the entire Bible is found in the passage we just read this morning. You remember verse 2? Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. This morning, maybe you can relate to this, Father maybe you have found yourself on an unexpected journey under unthinkable circumstances but 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 don't forget that those unthinkable circumstances become great opportunities so here they are the three greatest virtues faith hope and love how about you my friend Are you still clinging on to your Isaac, clutching to your Isaac, or are you ready? Are you ready to lay your Isaac down? The choice is yours. Although about 80 billion people have lived on the earth since Adam and Eve, only one stands out above all others. He's received more attention, more devotion, More adoration, but but more criticism, more opposition than anyone. Every recorded word he's said has been studied, scrutinized, criticized, and analyzed. Yet more than 20 centuries later, literally millions of people are studying his words. Even though he never wrote a book, All the books in the world have been written about him, fill countless libraries. Even though he never painted a picture, he never did a sculpture, he's been the inspiration of the greatest art of all time. Even though he never wrote a song, millions of people around the world are singing his praises this very day. Even though he never raised an army, he has an army of believers who are willing to live for him and die for him. Even though he never traveled far from home, the sun never sets on those who are worshiping him. Even though he started with just a handful of people, over 30% of the world's population call themselves disciples followers of Jesus Christ. Even though he taught for only three years, today we're still studying every word he ever said. To explain Jesus, it's impossible. To ignore Jesus, it's disastrous. To deny Jesus is fatal. My speech Too limited. My mind is is too finite. My, My heart is too small to tell you what I want to tell you about my Lord and my Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus doesn't just show the way, He is the way. Jesus doesn't just give us life, He is life. Jesus doesn't just tell the truth. He is the truth. The most stunning work is often done when things seem hopeless. So today, we learned on this mountain, God provided a ram for Abraham. And on this mountain, this very same mountain, God provided a lamb for you and for me. So if you doubt God's love for you, go to the mountain. If you're anxious about tomorrow, go to the mountain. Go to Calvary. Lift up your eyes and see the provision of the Lord. Don't let what's been done to you to become bigger than what Jesus did for you. Uh, Too many people think they must first Clean up their act before they ask Jesus into their heart. But, but just the opposite is true. First, he comes into our lives. And then he cleanses our lives. So this morning, let's take the bread. Let's take the cup. As we worship in communion. Because this we do in remembrance of him.